you just run so much when you're training for the marathon that if you don't truly love it, you won't really enjoy it. I think for most of my career prior to that, I was so focused on performance and valuing the competition and, and what it gave me from that standpoint. But I think as I transitioned into marathon, I, I really became interested in this like idea of running for running's sake. And as I started to do that, I started to notice other people. You go to a marathon, whether it be Boston or Chicago or wherever, you're immersed in running like a sea of runners like you know you're starting on the line with 40 or 50,000 other people and everyone has a different story of why they're there and how they got there What's up, everyone? That was Andrew Bumbleo. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and you are listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. I've got a great episode for you this week. Andrew is a recently retired professional athlete. He spent the entirety of his professional career training and racing with the Bowerman Track Club, where he put up personal bests ranging from 337 for 1,500 meters to 210 for the marathon. Amongst his numerous accomplishments, he finished fifth at the 2018 Boston Marathon. He represented the U.S. in the 5,000 meters at the 2011 World Championships on the track, and he won a national title on the roads at 5K. We had a wide-ranging conversation that I really enjoyed, and I think you will too. We talked about Bumby's last race, which was the Olympic Trials Marathon last year, where he dropped out at 16 miles, and when he knew it was time to retire from the sport. Bumby told me about his 10-year relationship with coach Jerry Schumacher and what makes him such a successful coach, what his relationship with running has looked like since he retired, and how his body has responded to the reduced training load. We discussed getting into coaching and how he approaches working with a wide range of athletes, the work he's done in footwear product innovation and how technology advances have changed what's possible in both training and racing, what he makes of some of the eye-popping times that we've seen on the track and roads over the past year, and a lot more. This episode is brought to you by Gooder. What can I say about Gooder sunglasses other than that they are just the best? I've been wearing them for the past few years, and not only do they look good, they don't bounce, they don't slip, and they're polarized to protect your eyes. And did I mention that they're the most affordable performance shades on the planet, with most pairs coming in at just 25 to 35 bucks a piece? There's also a nice range of styles and colors. I'm personally a big fan of the OGs, and my favorite colors are Ginger's Soul and Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. And yes, those are just a couple of the recklessly fun names that they have in their collection. So if you want to support the podcast and treat yourself to a pair of Gooders, head over to gooder.com slash Mario or enter the code Mario at checkout to take advantage of a great deal. 13% off your order. That's G-O-O-D-R dot com slash Mario. That's M-A-R-I-O and get 13% off your first order. Look good, run Gooder. All right, please enjoy my conversation with Andrew Bumbleo. So we're having this conversation in 
late February, and it was almost exactly a year ago that you lined up for your last race, the U.S. Olympic Trials Marathon in Atlanta, where you unfortunately had to drop out early. What comes up for you when you think back to that race a year ago? Yeah, it's like it's really hard to think that it's been a, a, a year uh, because it's just been such a, a different year, like for sure for everyone. Um, and you know, if I think about like my life, um, I'm 33 years old. I'll be 34 in a couple of weeks, and it's like there's just there's there's not been a year like this in my entire life. So to have like you know this year happen in, in conjunction with um, you know, towards the end of my, um, running career as well. Um, it's just kind of a, it's kind of an interesting thing. And yeah, I, I just kind of had a realization, um, recently that, you know, that, um, you know, the 20, the 29th, I think is, is when the race was mm -hmm. last year, uh, obviously leap day. And, um, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's kind of surreal because, uh, of course we went into lockdown like two weeks later here in Oregon, as well as other parts of the country. And so, um, it, it's just like, it, it, it almost feels like it didn't happen. Like it's a dream, um, you know, that I'm going to wake up from at some point and, and, you know, like I'll, I'll see the results of that race. Cause I didn't, you know, after, after the race I, I finished or I didn't finish rather, I, I pulled off the course and went up to my hotel room. And I just kind of felt like I was in a dream, you know, because everything, you know, unraveled in such a way that, you know, you just, you, you fear for and, and nightmares going into events sometimes, but you, you know, that normally they don't play out that way. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just kind of been a year of processing and growing and reflecting, um, I think even beyond, uh, you know, the, the trials race. Take me back to that hotel room after you stepped off the course, what was the immediate aftermath like for you? Did you reach out to anyone? Did you just want some time to yourself? I'd love to understand where you were at in those hours that followed the race. Yeah. So I, you know, um, I'm from Nashville originally. Um, there, there was a huge, so that's only about three for, for those that aren't familiar with the geography, it's only about three and a half hours to drive from Nashville to Atlanta. So, you know, I was excited, um, that the race was going to be taking place kind of in, in my backyard in the Southeast, uh, is in terms of where I grew up. And, um, so I knew there were, you know, a lot of people there in support of me. Um, but I guess to, to answer your question specifically, it's like, I, I, I dropped out at mile 16 or so, um, went to the tent, you know, grabbed my stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was just like, again, just like, it, it was hard to really wrap my head around this being a real moment because obviously when you, when you're dreaming about such a, uh, you know, uh, a pivotal race in, in your career, you're not thinking it's going to go that way at all. Um, and so, I think I just was like, I just got to get like to the room and, and like, you know, kind of get away from, from anyone and everyone. It's just like, I need space uh, to, to kind of start to process what, what's happened. And, um, yeah, I, I texted my wife, um, and, and told her that I dropped out. So she, you know, she wouldn't be looking for me to continue coming around the course. Just like, you know, it sucks, but I dropped out. I'm in the room. Um, you know, when you, when you can get here, come, you know? Um, so yeah, she came up. Um, she had she had our son um, with her uh, as well, which you know ended up being just like really great because he he's 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 eight years old and um, I think understood the gravity of the moment for me, but also like has that child just has like a childlike you know it's okay and and not like 
you know, not understanding maybe how, how disappointed it was, but also kind of having empathy as well. So it was just like, it kind of took my mind off of it just to be with him. And, you know, he's only seen me race a few times. And, and so, um, yeah, it was just kind of like, it, it helped me to distance myself from the disappointment momentarily and just kind of focus on, on him and, and that sort of thing. So how long after the race did it take for things to sink in and for you to process it all and decide where you were going to go from there? Yeah. And that's what, that's, what's so hard about this. I think generally, you know, my, in the weeks after it was like, I'm, I, I felt like I'm really fit. Um, still obviously like I had a weird, you know, the fitness was really good. The training went well going into the race. And so I felt like, you know, there's gotta be another opportunity. Like, obviously like super disappointed about this. I'm going to sit with that for a week or, or so, but I mean, really it was like wanting to take advantage of all the work that I'd put in and not let it go to waste. So I got on the phone like a week later and was talking to my, uh, my agent, Tom Ratcliffe and was like, Hey, like, can we get, can we get Boston on the phone? You know, can we get, can we like reach out to the folks at at Boston Marathon? You know, it's, you know, in in my mind, it's like, that's still happening. Obviously no one, no one knows like what the cancellations are going to start to look like um, this because this is like probably March 7th, 8th, something like Mm -hmm. that. And so, uh, you know, I had fully planned to, to transition and because I dropped out early enough, I felt like, you know, I can go run Boston and, and at least get something out of this. So that was kind of the mentality in, in the week after. And then, man, like my birthday is March 14th. My wife and I went out to dinner March 14th, which I believe was a Sunday last year. And we were the only ones in the rest- restaurant. And I knew that I knew like I was aware of, of, of the coronavirus and COVID-19, everyone was, but just didn't know the severity of it and just how quickly it was going to change things. And so that was the last meal I think I ate outside of our house, you know, outside of our home for, for months. And, uh, but anyhow, like it just, the, 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 you know, everything changed like daily, you know, like, you know, I was going to run Boston and then I was like, I'm not running Boston because it just got canceled. And then it's like thinking about, you know, is there going to be, are there going to be fall marathon options and starting to plan for those things? And then realizing this isn't going to, you know, this is not going away. Like this is not going to go away this year. Like these events are going to be canceled. So then I just kind of, yeah, then it was like, what do I do next? And so that, that's kind of like where, what I, where I was in, in around April and, and May, I would say. How did you navigate the rest of the year when it became clear that events weren't likely to happen. You obviously knew as an athlete that your contract was going to be up at the end of the year being an Olympic year. You ultimately ended up retiring at the age of 33. When did those thoughts start to creep in that that would be a possibility for you? Yeah, you know, I think I knew deep down like that this year could be close to the end. you know, just you start to take stock each year at the end of each year. I feel like, you know, once you get over 30, maybe, and it's different for everyone. But for me, it was like around 30, 31, I started to like each year, I would kind of take stock of how the year went, you know, what's how my body felt like it w- it was maintaining it, its form and, and its ability to train hard and stay healthy. And um, so I, I think I kind of envisioned like, okay, maybe, Maybe, you know, in best case scenario, I make the Olympic team, I run the Olympics, 
And then I stick around for one more year and try to run at the world championships, being that they are down, you know, that the marathon was rumored to even be run here in Portland, um, you know, even though the event, the main event is taking place in Eugene. And so that was sort of like the, that was like the idyllic, like, man, if I could write my own story, basically I would, you know, run, run the Olympics, you know, probably run a, a spring marathon and then run the world championships in my backyard and and literally like just walk away from there and retire mm-hmm. a happy man um obviously you know that those things you know got pushed out so i kind of ha- i was in a place where i w- would have needed to make i did need to make a decision of like do i want to um you know try to stick it out and and figure out i knew contractually like things would be very complicated you know um with with my sponsor nike um that was a very you know, that was something that was, was out in the open. And, and, and I do appreciate that, you know, it wasn't anything where I wasn't aware of, of potentially what, what the challenges were ahead in terms of, um, in terms of contract. And, and, you know, I've, I've been with one coach my whole career, uh, Jerry Schumacher and being in Portland and being with the, with this team. And um, I think, you know, those sort of things started to, to, to become practical decisions of like, do I really want to, you know, try to chase another sponsorship with another company that would likely cause me to move or to, you know, our family have to pick up and move and, and start over somewhere else. And so those things just started to, to become realities. Um, And then, and also motivation, to be honest, like I, I got to May and June and, and I kept the training going up for a little while. And then you know, once I realized there were no races that were going to happen um, on the road, you know, in the marathon or half marathon, really, I, I just, I, I started to lose motivation to, to show up every day and do, you know, do the, the necessary work uh, to be at that high level. Um, so it's kind of a confluence of events that, that just kind of pushed me towards uh, looking, t- I guess, down the road versus like trying to maintain this lifestyle that I've had for the last 10 years. What were those mid-year conversations like with Jerry when your motivation started to wane and there was no obvious immediate future ahead in terms of races that you could pursue? Yeah, I think Jerry is super pragmatic and, you know, I I think he's a pretty good, um, he knows when athletes are kind of nearing the end, I think. And he's not, he's not someone that's going to sit there and try to convince you to prolong a career when he, you know, when he knows maybe your best running is probably behind you. I mean, I, you know, he's believed in me my whole career, but I also think he's all, he's very pragmatic and his, his like standard for performance is so high you know, Jerry, it's not at all about the lifestyle of like getting to get paid to run and, um, you know, essentially avoid like a, a quote unquote, like real job uh, for, for an extended period. It's like for Jerry, it is the performance and it is optimizing that um, and getting you to literally find your absolute limit. And, you know, if, if that is at all, not, uh, what you are signing up for as the athlete anymore, then I think Jerry loses excitement in, in wanting to coach you. And, you know, I think that that is something that I knew from the very beginning in joining the group that like, Mm -hmm. 
Jerry's excitement is is all about uh, you know maximizing the performance and getting the most out of the athlete. And so, yeah, you think he, he was just like he wasn't telling me to retire. He didn't tell me to retire, but I think he 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 just like listened to me talk and and I think then provided some insight. You know, kind of using my own words against me to 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 provide some insight that was was helpful. So, in the couple years leading up to the 2020 trials, you mentioned how you're in your early 30s at that point. You've been a professional for almost 10 years. How are you thinking about the next steps of, of your career? And I don't necessarily mean as an athlete, but once you did decide it was going to be time to hang them up, whether it was in 2020 or 2024. Yeah, totally. I, I started to like, I, I think around... Around 2016, I started to think about. I started to think about it. You know, um, what what would life look like after running, and how? In what ways could I, you know, meaningfully contribute uh, to a society and to you know, um, you know, a court, you know, maybe it's a, a business culture or whatever, whatever it might be. Like, what what would I want to do, and how could I contribute? And so. I, I started to, I, I really got, I got very fascinated with my experience working with um, the innovation group um, at Nike and um, pressing in, I would say, beyond just like a wear tester, but trying to become more of a thought partner um, and someone that would be along for the journey um, of, ne- you know, of what became the next percent you know, line of footwear. And it, it kind of worked out for me because at the time I was slowly making the transition from track to road. And, um, you know, me being obviously proximity plays a role into that because I was training out at, at the camp, you know, at campus in, in Beaverton every day. And so, um, yeah, it just, it kind of became a natural, um, partnership with, with some of those folks, you know, in the early days of, of the next percent footwear going back even to 2014 or 15 when when it was the program was you know in ideation you know sort of discovery phase and so um yeah getting to be a part of those conversations honestly putting on the first prototype of of what became uh you know the the four percent was was like the first aha moment i'd ever had with product that was like this is this is beyond, you know, uh, a change of, of, of a slight change of foam or, or, or upper or, or design. This is like, this is the next, this is the next level. Um, this is the future of, of product. And so it was like, I, I just remember this very vivid scene of being in a, in a, in a conference room at Nike. It's a carpeted room. I put the shoe on and I'm like, wow, this feels like I'm on the moon. I go out into the hallway, which is like a, you know, a cement, like a polished floor, like cement floor. And it's really, really hard. And I like bent down onto the floor to touch it because I didn't believe, you know, what <laughs> I was walking on could be that hard, could be that hard underneath my foot. And so that's, that was the moment where I was like, okay, I want to get it. You know, I want to do this. I want to get into product and I want to change, you know, uh, I want to change the game for athletes, you know, uh, of all, of all types. So. Did you know at that time that that particular shoe and what it eventually became was going to change the game of marathoning and road racing? I don't think to that degree, because at that time, it really hadn't been used in a competitive setting yet. So, mm-hmm. 
so if I had had more experience in product, I probably would have realized that, you know, but I was still, I was still kind of seeing it through like a narrow lens of like, this is amazing. You know, it doesn't, it hadn't been used yet. And I hadn't, I hadn't had a chance to really use it and see the, and see kind of just the, the benefits across, like not just in, in an individual race effort, but you have, but you start to think about like, how does it fit into training and what, and how does it enable you to do more in training as an athlete and, and kind of get away with things that maybe you couldn't, if you didn't have, you know, that type of, uh, you know, support and cushion and protection under your foot. Um, if you were just in a traditional kind of a flat or, or, or uh, training mm-hmm. shoe. And so, yeah, I, I think, I don't think I had the, just the the breadth of experience yet to know, oh my gosh, this is like, people are going to run way faster and this is going to, you know, this is going to spark a litany of just like con- controversy potentially or whatever, you know, discussion and just pr- and improvement in, in performance. So. In your experience as someone who was in the mix early with the 4% and what it became then you had an opportunity to train and race in it. And a lot of people talk about the race day benefits of the shoe. And you just alluded to being able to do things in training that you might not have otherwise been able to get away with. Like, I'm not going to ask you to quantify it, but what's the influence of the shoe on someone's training and what it can allow them to do over a long period of time, both from a performance standpoint, but also their ability to handle a particular training load? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, that's, that's a really interesting piece of it is, um, obviously people do focus so much on like, okay, like let's quantify the percentage, you know, difference or, or in performance. Right. And, that's that's the real that's like kind of the scrutiny or the focus that that in the story that's get that gets told but you're right i mean i think you know if i for example if i go and if as an athlete when when i was when i was training hard for the marathon i could go and do um a long run on the road uh whether it be you know in portland on on savi island which is pretty flat um for those that aren't aware it's like a nice you know 12 12 mile like flat road loop um or you know even more so i could go up to um fairmont which is like a a three and a half mile shorter loop but really hilly um that that a lot of athletes here use for you know maybe in preparation for a race like uh new york or a hillier marathon course and you know you could go up there and run hard like you know really hard efforts and you know with the advance the advancement with vaporfly you could come back the next day and not like normally that like that type of effort would just like trash you your legs would be toast for two or three days but i think it just it it kind of because it it because of its protective capabilities um you know just how resilient and um you know pr- protective the foam is underneath you like you could go do that workout and then come back the next day and have like a pretty solid run. I mean, you'd still be, you're still tired and you, you know, the fatigue is still there, but you know, maybe the, the muscle, the muscular damage isn't quite the same. And so then, um, you know, when you want to go work out on Tuesday or Wednesday, you're, you're ready to do that. And I think, you know, so that's, that's, that is the type of thing that doesn't necessarily, uh, make headlines, but is pretty impactful when you consider, 
um, things from from an overall like athletic point of view. Do you think we're seeing the same sort of thing with the spikes now that they're allowing someone who's racing a 10K, for instance, to not feel like a crippled person for a week after 25 laps on the track, they can actually bounce back a little bit quicker and get back to training. And over time, those gains are going to compound. I do. And I think like, I think it enables you, I mean, I think for one, again, like racing, yes, you can, I I remember I ran my first 10 K on the track and it was like, Oh my gosh, like I couldn't run. (laughs) I could, this was back in like 2013 before anything. And I could barely run for like a week. Um, to your point, it was terrible. And I was like, why did I even do that? Like I should stick with a 5k, but, um, but then, but then like, uh, yeah, like when, when you think about, when you think about running and you think about what makes athletes better, it's the more running you can do. And the more you can train the the pump as Jerry likes to say, you know, like train the aerobic system, the better you're going to be. And, and the things that are limiting often for runners, it's not, it's not the pump that that's limited. It's the, it's the muscular skeletal Mm -hmm. system that will break down. So if you're able to keep that from breaking down and and all of a sudden you're able to do like, if you're doing like mile repeats and you can realistically do eight of them, like, or 10 of them or whatever, like whatever number you can do, like, and, and not break. And that's kind of the point you can, you can get to without hurting yourself, you know, consistently. Okay that's, that's the limit. That's the limitation. But if you can start to do, you know, 10 times a mile or 12 times a mile, whatever it is, you know, whatever the the percentage of increase is, it's like, that is something that can make you a a better athlete. And it can, and it can increase, you know, the training load that you're able to, to do. And this is, you know, it's not like this is a a new, um, you know, sort of, like insight it's you know people have tried to whether it's massage therapy whether it's physical therapy whether it's a cryo chamber you know people in this sport have been looking for different ways to you know have their you know body kind of not get as beat up and recover faster um and i think that these you know this these advancements in footwear are just kind of another um, sort of avenue that maybe like just hadn't really been thought of or, or been explored uh you know 20 years ago. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Where are you at right now? You've been retired as a professional athlete for a few months now. You mentioned how prior to your athletic career ending, you were doing some work with the innovation team at Nike and really enjoyed that. Have you been able to land somewhere or go further down that road? Yeah, so that is absolutely the the focus uh, of my of my kind of post uh, athletic career is to move into um, you know product creation um, in footwear, and um, I haven't, I, I do not, I've not landed a a permanent uh, role yet. Um, I you know with the pand- again with the pandemic and uh, complications um, for for different companies as a result and, you know, adding headcount and stuff, it hasn't been, it hasn't been, I guess, the easiest path I'll say to, to just moving into something permanent right away. And so I, over the, over this year, like I had, I, I worked for, um, three months, uh, at Nike and in in, with a, uh, the training, 
um, category uh, in footwear and worked on the Metcon, um, which is a, like a CrossFit mm-hmm. shoe and loved that. Like it was so good to to move out of running for a little bit and just like engage with this entirely different athlete. So I, I spent time like, um, you know, talking to cross, CrossFit athletes, um, you know, running focus groups with, with uh, a, um, a gym here in Portland that I'm still connected with actually. Um, and, and just really learned a lot about that athlete and the needs that they have in, in, in footwear. And um, so that was really good. And then I moved into another like stretch role with, uh, with the, with this innovation team that I that I had kind of contact with earlier in my career and um, started working on some projects for them this fall. Um, you know, went from like August to uh, December, and so um, yeah, I mean, again, it's like as an athlete, you you have some you have some really valuable experiences and insights. Um, but again, just trying to get, trying to build my portfolio of, of more experience, um, so that, you know, when opportunities arise, like I'll be, I'll be ready for them. And so, yeah, it, it's, I think as like this year has like, we've rounded into 2021, the opportunities are really starting to present themselves and be, be out there. And so I'm really excited to, uh, to get into that, like that first full-time role, um, and really start to contribute, uh, to, to a team. And, and that's what, you know, the, the opportunity to be with, you know, working uh, alongside like designers and developers, uh, that, you know, are, are just super, um, elite at their craft. You know, that's, that's something that I'm excited to, to learn from and, and to continue to grow in, in that way. And so, um, yeah, looking forward to this year is just like, I, I feel like the mental shift into 2021 for so many people, it's like, mm-hmm. it's just been a really good thing of like, all right, let, like we're ready, to, we're ready to go again. So um, feeling really good and excited about all that. I know you've been doing a little coaching too. How did that come to be? Yeah. So, um, that was another project again, like I'm just someone who has to kind of stay engaged and, and, and be a little busy. Like I, you know, to, to, to feel like I'm, you know, maximizing potential. And so one thing that I started to do over the summer was I was working with, uh, I was working with Bowerman track club, uh, and like helping out Elliot Heath and Emily Pritt, um, and some others on that team, um, that have really built Bowerman Track Club into, um, you know, it's not just the professional group, it's the masters, it's the elite group. It's, uh, and then the biggest thing is the youth club. And so, mm-hmm. um, I'd been a part of like, I've been a youth coach, like a Bowerman Track Club youth coach for three or four years now. Um, I was at the first like inaugural in-person uh, high school camp that we had in Bend and, you know, helped, helped kind of on some of the planning and execution of that. Um, but then obviously with COVID this year, um, you know, we had planned to have the camp again. It was so successful last year and, and, and I think was really impactful. And then, you know, COVID hit. And so we, we realized pretty quickly we weren't going to be able to have the in-person camp. And so uh, that said, we, we started to create, um, we kind of, we sat with it for a little bit and we're like, can we really make something that is beneficial to kids it's going to be online like that seems kind of lame you know like when you when mm-hmm. you have like that camp like experience that that happens uh the bonding and like you know like the 24 hour a day you're with these people and you really start to develop friendships and and have these experiences that are that are amazing that so many people talk about when you know with camps and so i i think we were just like can we really deliver anything that's worthwhile online and 
Um, anyway, we kind of we sat with it for a little bit, and we decided to shift it from uh, from a camp experience into a more uh, like a, a comprehensive like training experience. So we're like we're gonna exp- we're gonna expand this to four weeks instead of just being one, and um, we're gonna have it. You know, the elite athletes are gonna be able to. Uh, the Bowerman elite athletes are really going to be able to be more involved since it's over a computer instead of them having to be somewhere. So, you know, almost like I'd say, you know, maybe 15 of them um, came on as coaches. So we had, you know, these elite athlete coaches um, working with, you know, groups of 15, like high school kids. And it was amazing. Like it was, it was so much better than I even could have anticipated. I think, you know, we had letters from parents saying it was like, you know, the best thing that their kid did all summer. And they, you know, they, it really, it really, um, I think brought a lot of light to people who, you know, had felt pretty isolated and, you know, it really expanded our reach too. You know, I had kids in my group from, you know, New York, Missouri, uh, Portland. It was like, it was pretty cool to, to be able to have a a bigger reach as well. And so this is a very long winded way (laughs) of me telling you that I, I kind of got the idea, uh, that I, like, I really wanted to work with, with individuals, uh, with, with whether it be high school age, age or, or more like adults, um, you know, and felt like, you know, the, on, you know, the, um, online is, is a way that you can do that. And the way virtual, like the way technology has changed, like virtually, you can really still have a big impact with someone. And I think that's the thing that I learned from doing this, um, this Bowerman track club virtual, you know, summer camp thing was like, this could be expanded uh, much beyond this and could be something that is ongoing. And so this fall I sat with it and, and ultimately like, you know, it was like, I need to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this. I've got time. Um, and I made a website and, um, you know, started to, to think about what I wanted it to look like and be and, um, you know, sat with what the name would be like for a little bit. And um, yeah, I started high gear running, which uh, has been awesome. It's been like a really great way to stay connected to the sport, uh, to give back from like all the things that I, you know, received as an athlete, like to start to try to give back in some ways to to other people that have, you know, goals that they're still trying to get after. And it's been, um, it's been a really, really cool experience. And I feel like the, you know, the participation and feedback has been amazing so far. What's the level of athlete that you're working with or the range of levels of athlete that you're working with? Yeah, it's, it is, it is open to anyone. And so there is no like prerequisite for, for being a part of it. I think it's the main thing is that you have a goal and that you're like committed to, to going after that. And so, you know, I have, I have, um, I have like a, you know, a miler that's, uh, hoping to, to run, you know, probably he's, he's an, you know, he's an adult. Um, he's, he's in his twenties, but he's hoping to run, you know, like low four minutes. And then I've got, um, you know, people in the marathon that are hoping to just get, you know, hoping to get a Boston qualifier, you know, kind of an age level Boston qualifier. So it's a huge array of people. And then there's a few people that have just like been like, Hey, I want to, I just want to have running be something that is consistent for me and I don't want to get injured. And so, you know, I've been able to work with some of the, some of those folks as well that are just like, I just want a pathway into this. How do I do it? And so I think there's an appetite, you know, for, for people, especially right now with, 
um, you know, just being at home or, or, or not having access to the, to things that they normally do, or just having maybe a little more free time on their hands to be able to pursue something that maybe they've put off for a little, a little while. Tell me the story behind the name high gear running. Yeah. So I, I am a huge music fan and, uh, you know, have been for a really, really long time. And, um, to, to a fault, maybe I, I love all kinds of music and, um, you know, as I was coming up, I, I guess my age probably has me trending towards uh, bands from the 90s. So in terms of like my bread and butter of like what I really resonate with. I mean, I, I try to stay like relevant and still and still, listen, you know, find new music to listen to. And, and I, I you know, I, I'm just I'm a student of 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 music. I, I, I'm not I'm not a, I don't play music, but I, I've always like really appreciated it. But um, yeah, early on in my, in my life, I, I got antiquated with this band, uh, Fish from Vermont, uh, <laughs> who many people maybe are, younger people are not as familiar with, older people maybe are and are a little eye rolly. Um, but if it makes you I, feel better, I know Fish, but I'm also in my late 30s, so it makes go. sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. So I'm, you're right in the you're right in that demographic there. Um, but you know, there's there's a song called "Run Like an Antelope" and uh, there's a lyric in there about, you know, shifting your, your run to the high gear of your soul, run like an antelope out of control. And, you know, that's just, a, that's like a little line that's just like stuck in my, you know, kind of stuck in my subconscious for a really long time. And mm-hmm. I, that was the thing I had the idea for the, for the, for what the, what, what the coaching, um, you know, company or brand or whatever you want to put it, whatever you're going to call it was going to be. But the name, I didn't know, like, I was like two weeks away from launching and still like didn't feel good about a name. And I was like, I don't want it to be something like really dopey. I like, I want it to be authentic to me and like who I am and maybe a little subliminal. Like I like those types of things. <laughs> and I think, you know, and Fit Fish is a band that like has like these like subliminal, like kind of inside, I don't know, jokes with their fans. And so it was like, this is really funny to me. Like, I'm going to do it. And like, and it kind of, you know, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't not work for, for a running company or, you know, a coaching company or someone getting into running. So it was perfect. Um, and I was like, I'm doing it. <laughs> so I went, I think that morning I went and, and bought the domain, you know, I was like, I'm going to go see if it's available. I'm going to go buy the domain right now. So you've spent the entirety of your athletic career competing at a high level through high school, college, and into the pros. And now you're working with a handful of athletes. As you just described, you've got a young kid who's pretty fast trying to run close to four minutes in the mile. You've got adults who are trying to hit a Boston qualifier, maybe run a personal best. What have you learned from working with those types of of athletes and having that kind of exposure to them because most professional athletes throughout the entirety of their career are higher level athletes they you know they're just in their own little world they're in their own little bubble and not paying too much attention to what else is happening in the world of running yeah i think that the last i think switching from track to the marathon helped me to find a purity of of like of like the loving the run um and the ability to go out and like get lost in like thought and and you just run so much when you're training for the marathon that if you don't truly love it um you know you 
you will you won't really enjoy it. I think for the for most of my career prior to that, I was so focused on performance and um, you know valuing the competition and, and what it and what it gave me from that standpoint. But I think as I transitioned into marathon, I, I really became um, interested in this like idea of running for running's sake. And, um, I, you know, as I started to do that, I started to notice other people, um, you know, you go to, you go to a marathon, um, whether it be Boston or Chicago or, um, wherever you are, you're immersed in running right got a sea of runners like you know you're starting on the line with 40 or 50,000 other people and everyone has a different story of why they're there and how they got there and um i i guess you know the the barrier between like at, like professional athlete elite athlete and you know whatever you know just general runner kind of comes down at those events in some ways and so I got really interested in in just kind of expanding my knowledge and reach. And also, like, you know, I'm starting to work in footwear as well. And, you know, I, it, you, yes, Nike, for example, being a shoe company that makes, you know, running shoes, they, they make running shoes for obviously Elliot Kipchoge and they're, and they're spending a lot of time and money developing, uh, you know, obviously the, the highest performance footwear in the world, but they're also making, you're, they're making footwear for people who, who want, again, just to like maybe get out the door a couple of times a week and have a good experience doing that. And so for me, I got really interested, like from that standpoint too, of like wanting to be empathetic and understand like that person's experience uh, with running and and knowing like it's a, it's equally in some ways to me it is important um it's different um but i i guess i just i i wanted to understand that more and so um i guess coaching is also a way of doing that um you know and and not just limiting myself to you know potentially like college athletes or elite athletes or you know really good high school kids it's like to me, watching someone um, set a goal and improve and and really <clears throat> be committed to that and understand too, like these are people that have full-time jobs and kids and like they they have so many other things that they could be doing with their time and yet they're making time um, to, to train and to, to try to better themselves. And so, yeah, it just, it really captured my imagination and, and caused me to like want to, to dive into that more. I guess I'm, I'm curious. So you're from your point of view, like how did, how did you find your way into, into coaching and like what, what motivates you or excites you about, about it? It's a good question. It's a lot different than the way that you found your way into it. For me, I was and still am a huge running nerd from the time that I was in high school all the way through college. I was the kid who would read anything he could get his hands on in high school. And this is in the late 1990s. I'm printing out whatever I can find on the internet at the time in terms of training programs because I didn't have a great coach myself. So I was interested in how people train for these long distance events. And I mean, that's still the case today to some degree. And I've had some incredible coaches along the way who I've learned from and have influenced me. But when I graduated college, I had former teammates who wanted to stick 
with running. They wanted to race the local cross country series in Massachusetts where most of us were living, or they wanted to try a half marathon or marathon for the first time. And they just knew that I was interested in training and, and asked if I could write them schedules. It was as it was as rudimentary as that from the very beginning, just helping out my old teammates. And then eventually, and I think this is where there's some overlap here, I started working at a specialty running shop in central Massachusetts. And the folks who are coming into the specialty running store aren't your elite athletes or even your sub-elite athletes, really. They're your everyday runner. They're the folks who keep the industry going. They're buying product, but they're also interested in improving their times for certain distances. And I would have customers ask me if I offered coaching. And I just said, sure. And I remember meeting like this woman who was in her late 40s who wanted to finish her first 5k at the track every Wednesday. We were literally walk running laps around the track um, till we got to the point where she could run a 5k without stopping. And then it evolved from there because I started working in media and writing a lot about training and had people reaching out to me asking if I could help them out with their training. And you know, it's gotten to the point where now it's how I spend most of my working time aside from doing this podcast and in the different places that I've lived in recent years, I've had like on the ground groups in addition to whatever athletes that I'm working with on a, on a remote basis. But that's really how it kind of started and evolved for me. I'm not sure if that answers your, your question fully, but please feel free to follow up on it. No, I think that's really interesting, like to come at it from like the run specialty store and start to engage with people. And you just see kind of their their excitement and what like it's it is i think as an elite sometimes you can get very cynical mm -hmm. <laughs> because you different things can make you feel that way whether it's you know kind of uh, a win at all costs sort of environment that exists in in the sport uh, maybe not directly around me personally I, i'm lucky to have not been in that sort of environment but you see it and you see these different things that I feel like can can be pretty draining about the elite side of the sport. And so then when you're exposed to this other side, what like feels mm -hmm. like pure, very pure and and just like super positive and and all these, you know, like people again, just like at these huge events, like it's pretty energizing. And so, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting kind of on ramp that you found yourself, you know, working in, in running specialty. And I'll say now, my roster is a split between some elite athletes who are professional runners in the trail and ultra scene, and then I've got a number of Olympic trials level qualifiers. But then I've got a bunch of athletes as well who are just age group runners. Maybe they're trying to qualify for Boston or they're trying to set a personal best and they're not anywhere close to that level. And I, as a coach, I like that mix because what I've learned over the past 15, 16 years or so that I've been doing this is that I can take things that I do with my elite athletes and I can use those things to help my age groupers get better and show them that, hey, maybe you're not running at the same paces or doing quite the same volume as these elite athletes, but the principles are more or less the same and you're working just as hard as they are. On the flip side and to the point you just made, I have age group runners who running is something that is a serious hobby for them. They're fitting it in around raising a family, usually working a full-time job, but they make the time for it. And it has 
most of the time a healthy place in their life and it fits well into everything else that they're doing and everything else that they've got going in their life they find a way to use that to support their running and you know just from being an elite athlete being around elite athletes you become so singularly focused on this one thing and that can sometimes lead to the detriment of other things you know in your life and i've learned from the age group athletes you know that principle that i have, i can bring to the elites and and my better athletes who i don't want to say are taking the sport more seriously but the stakes are maybe a little bit higher and say like hey we need to balance this out a little bit better and that mm -hmm. could actually put you in a place that's going to help improve your performance not necessarily adding more miles or giving you harder workouts but just making sure that running occupies a healthier place in your life so i think there's a lot of synergy between the two and elites can learn a lot from age groupers but i think age groupers as well can learn from elites and that sort of sets up my next question for you do you think elite athletes in track and field and even in the marathon can do a better job or need to do a better job connecting with the age groupers and the everyday runners who are buying stuff and running specialty stores who are signing up for a lot of races but otherwise might not have any interest in what's happening at the front of the pack totally and i i think that there's like um, I think Kyle Merber has spoken on this. I actually, I, I think Kyle's pretty well spoken and, and enjoy listening to him. And, you know, he's like athletes, like basically ought to be doing this. Like it, they, they need to be doing it. And I, and I think, I think they do. Um, I, I think it's really, it, it could be very beneficial, not only to them, but also the brands. But I, I think it's really interesting though, because, you know, brands sign athletes to represent them and to, mm -hmm. you know, to, to wear their product. And I don't always feel that the activation from the brand may, is, really makes sense in terms of the investment dollars that they've spent into the athletes. And I, and I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I mean that around like, they don't, not all brands do a great job of, of really telling the athlete's story and and creating, um, yeah, like a a bridge to understand that athlete and their experience, and you know, um, basically create fans in that way. And I think that's what's really interesting, actually, about having uh, observed uh, the ultra scene a little bit through through the eyes and, and ears of. Um, of my, of my good friend, uh, Dylan Bowman now who lives in Portland is the ultra scene, I think in some ways does a better job of, of connecting athletes to the directly to fans, mm -hmm. to, into, to enthusiasts of the sport and the walls are not as high and in the, the transparency of what's going on it is more out there. And it, it's really just like a part of the ultra, like ultra scenes culture, it seems like, cause it's like very grassrootsy and it's right. come up, it's come up this way and they've, everyone's kind of evolved together in that way. Um, it's been a journey that, that it's been collective. And I think the like road running scene, it would be really interesting if, if brands led a little bit more in terms of getting access to athletes and if athletes in turn like made made a, a more concerted effort to connect with people who are enthusiasts of the, of of their team or their brand or who or themselves you know and i think that could be really interesting 
Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, having spent time in both worlds, coming up the same way that you did, running track and cross country through high school and college, I didn't run professionally, but you know, I've made a, a competitive go at it after college, and then in more recent years, getting into trail and ultra myself as an athlete, but coaching trail and ultra athletes and being at a lot of these events, there is a very cultural difference, a lifestyle difference, where even though the field sizes are a lot smaller at an ultra versus a major marathon. Most of the people in that field are interested in who won the race, or at least they know who the top athletes are. I mean, the last couple of years, I've been in Chamonix with a couple of my athletes, Tim Tollefson and Sally McRae, and they walk through that town during race week, and you would swear that they're rock stars. I mean, they can barely leave their room and go get a cup of coffee without being mobbed by fans. And you could, I mean, you could go out in Boston at marathon weekend and this isn't a knock on you at all. I mean, you're a, you know, you finished top five there one year, you're two ten fifty six marathoner and a couple people like might recognize you, but you can pretty much go about your business and no one's really going to pay like that much attention. Maybe that differs depending on the mm -hmm. athlete, but it's definitely different from the track and field marathon world versus ultra. And I think that track and road racing could definitely take something away from that and raise the profile of some of these athletes who in turn are going to do more for their sponsors. And I think it benefits the entire sport as a whole. Yeah, definitely. The only, the only time that I feel like I've, I've felt maybe the, the experience that you, you, you just described was not, it was not for me. It was because I was Shalane Flanagan and I were together <laughs> at, at, at Boston, at Boston, mind you. And, you know, she is an absolute uh, queen of, of, of that, you know, race and, and that experience in city. And so like being with her um, on a shakeout jog, you know, the day or two before the Boston Marathon was the closest I think I've, I've ever been to that and just feeling like, wow, like, I think I just like walked away from that. I was like, man, is this like how things are always like for her, you know, mm -hmm. for her? Because if it is like, that's exhausting. But you're right. Like everyone knows Shalane and obviously like it some of it is is your is your success frankly it's like how mm -hmm. how good are you um and if you're in the top if you're in consistently you know in the top three at, at, at big time races or you're, you know you're a multi-time olympian or you have this or that like you're going to be more recognizable i mean like ryan ryan hall at his peak um in the marathon and um Shalane, i mean there are these type of athletes but I do think it could be expanded, uh, you know, to a much broader uh, group to where there's, if, if there was just a little bit more effort put in, um, on the side of, of both the athletes and the brands, it's really, it's really both. So let me ask you this. You had a 10 year professional career, as you alluded to earlier in this conversation with Jerry, his approach was very performance oriented. He wanted to help you explore the limits of your potential and be the best athlete that you could be. So you were always trying to run faster and place higher than you did. But in general, over the course of the 10 years you were a pro, how did the job responsibilities of being a professional athlete change or evolve over that period in time? I, I really feel like it's like what you make of it. Um, I mean, obviously, like, you're a contractor, you're a contractor. So you get, you know, you have certain things you have to do, right? You have to run a certain number of races. 
um, you know, you, you, you have these different sort of requirements. Like if, 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 you know, for example, my sponsor was Nike, if they had asked for an appearance, um, you know, you're required to a certain number per year, um, that sort of thing. But I guess I think athletes, and this is easy, this is easier for me to say now that I'm done. Um, and it's a little bit of a, not a regret, but just something I, I sort of missed as an athlete. Like, there's so much more that I could have done had I just been a little bit more open-minded uh, to doing it. Um, you know, I think there's this misconception that if you spread yourself too thin, then it's going to affect performance. Now, I think there is some truth to that. Obviously, you can't take on, you know, full-time work and still, um, you know, still be like it, you know, as productive, I think, as you can, as you could, if you, if you have like uh, the ability to, to rest and recover. But I think a lot of athletes don't go far enough to be like, you know, this, this like high gear running, I could have, I could have been doing that the last four years. Like, honestly, like, and mm -hmm. it, it's a shame. I guess it's, it's somewhat of a shame that I didn't realize that nor pursue, um, pursue anything like that earlier. Um, and I think other athletes have these opportunities of like, there's, so, you know, there's so much you can, you can connect with and get involved with, whether it's philanthropy, whether it's, um, you know, a business, um, whether, and then I think there's this other, there's this other aspect that I don't think athletes realize until they're done. And, um, and this is, this is something that I've really experienced in the last year is, when you finish running, there's no, there's, you know, there's no off ramp, like in terms of I'm going to go straight into this and immediately have success. Like in the, if you want to work in like the corporate world, like you're going to have to figure out how to, um, to tell you, to package your experiences in a story that makes sense for, for someone sitting, reading your resume, uh, in HR to be like, yes, like this person has, this person definitely has the things we're looking for. And, and I feel like I can take, you know, kind of a, a risk on them and hire them. So I think there, there is space for athletes, especially as they round, you know, second base, like they round like second base, get the third base, get start to like, fin like come closer to, to finishing their career. It's like, they need, like athletes really ought to be starting to not have one foot out the door, but start to think about like before it happens to you, <laughs> before you, you get to the end, like start to think about, um, you know, like how can you, um, you know, continue to, to build and grow, um, yourself to where when you are done, you have, um, you know, just kind of more transferable skills, uh, to be able to, to impact wherever you want to go. And, and I think a lot of athletes choose coaching, um, that's a little, it's a little, um, more one-to-one, -one, but you know, like if you wanted to work at, I, you know, Intel here in Portland or, um, you know, Nike or, um, you know, whatever, wherever you want to work, I think that athlete, like especially runners, um, in track and field athletes have a lot of, um, desirable qualities that make them really good employees. But I think, you know, part of it is, is really starting to, um, as you kind of get towards the, towards the end, like figuring out how to, you know, showcase those things and really build upon them and, and kind of have, uh, 
you know, uh, proof of concept, if you will, mm-hmm. like, uh, so that, that's, that's, that's kind of how the job evolves as, as, you know, in the most ideal kind of set of circumstances. What did you major in at Georgetown? So I was a government major. Um, yeah. At the time, did you know that all you wanted to do was pursue a professional running career and see where you could take it? Or did you have anything even in the back of your mind that, okay, I'm going to pursue this running thing for a few years, see how it works out. And if it doesn't, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So I think like, obviously as I got, as a freshman, you know, at at Georgetown, I think I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was the classic case of like, I don't really want to declare a major because I don't really know. I don't have the exact thing that I want to do. And so I think for the first little bit, I didn't declare a major because you don't have, you know, you can start to do knock out your prereqs and, and, and kind of get through it that way. Um, you know, at some point you do, you know, I think around your sophomore year at Georgetown, at least you have to start to move towards a major. And so I, I was in the college, which is like, you know, the liberal arts, all the different liberal arts uh, disciplines. And so I decided I'll, I'll do government, you know, I mean, here, here I am. I love, I love, I love history and I love, you know, political science. Like that's kind of my, you know, that's a lot of the, po- a lot of the podcasts I listen to are kind of in that space. It just is like an area that I'm interested in. So I was like, I'll do that. And um, with, with the thought that, okay, like I want to run professionally. I think I'm good enough to do that. I've watched other people um, similar to my level move on and have great careers. Like even even from Georgetown, like you see, you know, Chris Lukesic, like he he went pro, uh, you know, now you know, right around my freshman or sophomore year, and that was really impactful. Like seeing someone like that was a couple of years older than me than me get a uh, get a deal with Reebok and like you know start to live that lifestyle and that's a, that's exactly what I wanted to do so I I did put everything into making that happen you know like even even from a lifestyle standpoint I mean I I still went to parties and had a good time and stuff but like I was pretty dis I mean for a college student I would say I was pretty disciplined like I I was, I, I made sleep a priority. Like, you know, I would get work ahead, like done ahead of time. Like if I could, so that I, you know, when I, when we go to like track meets, I wouldn't have to do it. Um, you know, stuff like that, because I knew that that that's the career I wanted. And so I was trying to set myself up well for that. And so luckily, you know, everything did line up for that, but you know, the, the sort of, the sort of like other piece of like, if, if that didn't work out, um, I was pretty certain that I was going to try to apply to law school and, mm-hmm. um, and, and do that route. And I don't know what type of, of law I would have found my way into had I done that. Um, but that was kind of the other option that I was sort of considering. One thing that always impressed me about you and your professional running career is that you stayed put throughout the entirety of it with Bowerman Track Club and coach Jerry Schumacher. How crucial was that element of consistency and being in that program for such a long stretch for your success? Yeah. And, and, and that goes back to even like college. Um, I, I watched as like, um, you know, Chris, Chris Zielinski and Matt Tegenkamp and Simon Byru and Tim Nelson and you know, Evan Jager, like those guys, make the the move with jerry from wisconsin to um out here to portland and that was like i i had a close eye on that um from the very beginning and knew that even like my relationship that i had established with jerry um in the recruiting process because he recruited me to wisconsin um and you know i had the opportunity to go there um 
it was it was like definitely a tough choice but to say no originally to him just because i liked him so much and i liked his approach and so that was a tough thing to like say i think georgetown's a better fit like holistically for me but it wasn't it, it was like hard to it was definitely hard to to turn him down so fast forward to five years later and i'm i'm in my fifth year at georgetown i'm completing my last bit of eligibility and I'm, I'm trying to, and Chris Alinsky has just run, you know, 2659 that spring in 2010. Um, and so I'm like trying to do everything in my power to, to like make it work, to be out here. And, um, like I, I kind of, I, you know, my college coach, Pat Henner, he knew that, and he was trying to work his channels. I was trying to take care of my business on the track and like run well to, to where, because I knew that Nike, you know, getting a Nike contract was kind of a prerequisite to then being able to, to join um, Jerry. And so I needed to not only convince Jerry, I think Jerry was convinced. It was also convincing, you know, the sports marketing, John Capriotti and, and others at Nike that it was worth it to, to, to give me a chance. And luckily they did and it worked out. And um, yeah, it was like, I learned so much those first few years in the group and I think I got to a certain stage in my career and I was like, again, to the point of, of retire, like what I, what I was talking about retirement earlier is like, I, I want to retire here. I want to be a Bowerman guy, like for, for life, you know, for life kind of. And like, if, even if it means I, I walk away sooner, like than I want to, because Nike's no longer able to support me. Like that would, that was something I had definitely strongly considered even earlier, but you know, Nike, Nike was unwavering for me, like in, in, in financial support, um, throughout, throughout, like, you know, I, I got every contract I felt I, I deserve, I kind of earned or had deserved. Um, you know, there was never a point where I felt like they were going to walk away from me. Um, I think, you know, knowing, knowing what was going into next year, I, I understand it. Like it's a business, it's a business. They have to make choices. There are younger athletes that are deserving of, 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 of fund funding. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not quite as valuable as a 33 year old to them as I was at 23. And you just kind of have to have that self-awareness to know like that, that's a reality, um, that you face kind of at the end. And, you know, yeah. Could I have gone around and shopped myself to other brands and maybe gotten something? Probably, um, I, I think probably, um, but I also, it's not something I wanted to, to really do or pursue. Mm -hmm. I, I was ready to kind of, to turn, you know, turn the page a little bit. In terms of performance depth and results, like Bowerman Track Club is arguably on a different level than every other group in the country. What sets them apart? I, I think it starts with Jerry and his, you know, his, uh, again, unwavering um, sort of, um, I guess, requirement of, of, of putting performance first. And so he, he does spend a lot of time, I think, thinking about as many details as he can to maximize that, right? And he also, I think, takes a lot more, he takes, definitely takes more risks than other coaches that I've know what they, you know, what they prescribe or have been around myself previous to, to him. Like he, you know, they're calculated risks. Like he's not being, he's not being, um, 
he's not being unwise, I don't think, but he's willing to push the envelope in training in a way that I think other coaches just haven't really been. Um, and so obviously people get injured and people have setbacks and there are kind of consequences to that. But the other side of that coin is that I think he has, he has been able to get absolutely everything out of almost all of his athletes that he's ever coached. I mean, like it's amazing. I mean, Shelby Houlihan is a massive talent. I think we can all recognize that, but I think her being under Jerry and being challenged by him in a way that maybe I, I just don't know if she would have, if, if other coaches would have seen certain things in her that he did in terms of like, okay, we're going to move you to the 5k and we're going to like, you know, do these different things that, you know, really push you to the absolute edge in your training um, in a way that like has produced incredible results and that is contagious too. So obviously it happens with one or two athletes and then other athletes that are in the group, even just to survive, you have to kind of adapt and be able to bring your, your level up so that you can, you can maintain your form. Now, are there consequences to that? Yeah. Like sometimes I think like athletes that aren't as fit as, as that is like the, the Mohamed or the Shelby Houlihan, like in the group at the time, like, do they overextend themselves sometimes? Probably. Um, and do they potentially make themselves uh, like susceptible to injury? Maybe, but it does, it does require a little bit of, of confidence as an athlete to say, you know what, like, I, like, I can't keep up with Mo today. And like, I need to call it because Jerry's not going to. <laughs> like, Jerry, Jerry is like, you know, you kind of have to, you kind of have to know your, yourself a little bit. And I think for some athletes, it works really well because the environment is so challenging and it's constantly pushing forward and there's no compromises like being made in terms of, of, of pushing forward and, and performance. But sometimes you have to have the ability to say, you know, today's not the day and I'm not going to, and I'm not going to overextend today, but that obviously, you know, comes with experience and time and, and you can, you can make mistakes as an athlete sometimes, um, in the system, but I think ultimately that's what leads to like this next level of of performance use you've seen by the entire group. Kind of following up on that and bringing it to the here and now, what do you make of what we've been seeing, particularly on the track in recent months? I mean, four of your former teammates just ran under twenty seven twenty for ten thousand in the same race. Two of the women just ran under. 31 minutes as someone who isn't that far removed from the sport are you surprised by any of it maybe not because they're your former teammates and you saw the work that they were putting in i'd love to get your perspective on recent events yeah i mean i i think those those 10ks like i think the biggest surprise is that like everyone who finished the race, like kind of ran, you know, ran mm -hmm. pretty incredible. It's so, like, normally there'd be a little bit more stratification of like, well, we had two really great A plus performances. We had like, you know, one B plus, and then we had like a couple of B minuses or something. Right. And so it was like, not only was it like a good day for everyone, it was really a pretty great day for everyone. And so I think that's the bigger surprise is just like how, you know, if you think about it in cross country terms or something like, 
the, you know, the, the, the tightness of your, of your pack is like pretty, pretty stellar. <laughs> and that doesn't, that doesn't always happen in terms of, uh, of everyone kind of knocking it out of the park on the same day. And so I think that's the part that surprises me a little bit, but just the actual times run um, from the front, like d- didn't surprise me a whole lot because I knew, um, you know, obviously I haven't been at training camp, but I knew that through, through the grapevine, through the text threads that, that people were fit and like camp had gone really well. And I think, you know, what you're seeing too is like athletes are experiencing you know, serious lack of interruption in their training. Like they're able, like with with the lockdowns and stuff, if you get, if you can get yourself to like a a training camp or or whatever, like you can lock in there and, and really do pretty phenomenal um, training, you know, uninterrupted without an indoor season or, or other things that typically kind of present themselves. So um, yeah, I mean, it was obviously, it was obviously a really big day for the club and, and just to see, you know, uh, like some of the newer guys like to really kind of announce themselves uh you know as as contenders for olympic spots and and that sort of thing it was really cool do you think we're seeing a big paradigm shift in the sport in general i mean a lot of it is coming from your former teammates at btc but all around the world really we're seeing folks just pop in crazy times. Maybe it's due to some of the footwear technology changes in combination with the pandemic and those longer blocks of training that you just mentioned. But it it feels like we're seeing this like watershed moment in the sport right now where like what was good maybe five years ago isn't going to be as impressive now or in years to come. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think we go through these types of, um, naturally we kind of go through these ebbs and flows in the sport um even in the united states like we've you know we've gone through golden age periods where like things were great and then in the 90s like there were you know there was a dip you know besides and then bob kennedy came on the scene and and then you had alan webb and, and dathan and like you have these like injections of like energy into kind of the overall scene and so i think right now though what's really interesting is like it feels less of like a moment like you know what i just described where you had different athletes kind of creating moments and now it just feels like this is sort of the the norm and we're like yes we've like we've gotten to like a new sort of like mountaintop and we're not planning to go down from it anytime soon and and then it just becomes like part of the consciousness and expectation for athletes like does that, I mean, what do, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's spot on. And someone, I can't remember who it was. It was a reader of my newsletter who emailed me a couple of weeks ago. I think it was a journalist from Ireland. And he said, these things go in cycles. And he was speaking more in global terms, but he's like, that's where we're at right now. Like, this is just the next turning point. And what we're seeing now is going to be the new normal moving forward and and maybe it's hard to wrap your head around at this time but sooner than later people will and like what's what's expected you know in the in the coming years is just going to be different than what we expected you know three four or five years ago yeah and i mean i think there are there are like a number of factors like do i i mean the footwear tech has improved drastically like we talked we kind of spent some time earlier talking about it and i think you know that can't be that can't be underappreciated um but obviously i think there are again just like 
you know, when when Roger Bannister broke four, mm-hmm. it was like then everyone started to do it. And it's like once you once you sort of like open the floodgates for certain things, like I mean, I you know, sub fifteen for for like women in the five K is like it's really good, but it's not what it was when, you know, and Shalane Flanagan, Shalane and I were actually running this week and we were talking about that. It's like, you know, her American record that she set, um, you know, whatever that was like 10 years ago. Um, when I, for, again, this shows my age a little bit, like when I first joined the group, she, she had just like, she was the American record holder. And now it's like, it's so much faster. And again, yeah, it's just amazing. Like sub 15 is good, but it's not like what it was. And the same mm-hmm. thing for, for the 5k, like sub 13, 20 for the men, you know, that was a pretty good time. Like when, when Brent Vaughn ran that as like a collegiate, like, wow, like that's really nice. And then now it's like, Oh, it's pretty good, but it's not like, it's not elite. So, well, to date myself, I remember <laughs> back, I think it was 2000 maybe it was 2000 watching the Olympic trials and Matt Lane ran 1327 in the 5,000. And that was a huge deal. I mean, right. it was like right. a huge deal that he had run 1327, yeah. the 5,000. I mean, and years before that, I mean, you had Bob Kennedy, you know, who was uh, a standout and had run 1258 and like had that very like memorable, inspirational run at the 96 Olympics in, in Atlanta. But I mean, he was like, the only person who did that. I mean, it was just a, it was a rarity, at least in men's American distance running. And I, I still remember everyone getting stoked about Matt Lane running 1327. And it's like now 1327 doesn't even win you NCAAs or maybe even put you on the podium if you're, you know, if, if right. you know, if the, if the race is fast enough. So it's like, yeah, the times of the times have just changed. And I think like what's, what's expected is just a, a higher level of performance than we could previously wrap our heads around. And that's, what's going to push the sport forward, quite honestly. Um, I mean, even looking to the marathon project this past fall to have that many guys under 210 and so many people making a breakthrough. And it's like five years ago, I mean, people would have been bowing down at someone running 209 here in the US. And now it's like, okay, that's expected. That's what we should be running. And what that's going to do in the next like three to five years remains to be seen. But I would bet that it's going to push things even even further and even faster. And, and as a fan of the sport, I mean, that's really exciting. Yeah, no. And I, I think again, just like going back to the inspiration of, of like being involved in the sport going forward, it's like, yes, I, I will still continue to care about, you know, the elite side of the sport and be interested, but you know, like I hopefully, you know, as, as things do move forward, there's, there's a, there's the whole kind of, uh, consciousness of of running like becomes a bigger part of the you know just the sporting landscape here in the U.S. and whether that's like marathoning or track and field or or like trail and ultra it's like there there's a lot to offer um, so it'll be it'll just be interesting to see how it, it continues to evolve uh, as as like we become like I mean frankly, the, I think we're probably, you know, the third or fourth best distance running country in the world, you know, in terms of depth. And so, or fifth, I don't know, we're up there. Um, depends what event I suppose, but that, that's going to be an interesting like storyline as things continue to go forward. Earlier in this conversation, you mentioned our mutual friend, Dylan Bowman, who I know you've become close with over the past few months. I know you guys have gone on some long trail runs together. I know that more recently, you've even been jumping into some workouts with the BTC Elite Group. That's not 
the pro team that you were a part of. I'm curious, what place does running hold in your life and what place do you see it holding in your life maybe a few years from now? It's evolving. You know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, back in the fall, in the spring, I started to do some stuff with Dylan because it's like, this is really different. Um, you know, he took me, he's taken me on my longest runs of my life um, in terms of like time, right? Um, so in the spring, we did this really long run um, out in the Tillamook Forest, uh, west of Portland in the coast, it's in the coastal range. And, um, you know, for him, it was like pretty pretty relaxed and like in terms of distance and, and terrain. And for me, it was like, wow, we're, you know, pretty, pretty good amount of vert, um, up and down and like on, on, you know, on more rugged trails than I was used to running on. And, um, you know, and obviously running over three hours was, uh, was a lot for me, even though we were running nine minute pace or something, it was like, it was, it was a totally different experience, but I, I liked it and I had fun. And I was like, this is a different way for me to engage in an activity that I've done for my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if you fast forward to, um, I guess like getting into the fall and winter, uh, and I, I guess I should say also that I was doing a lot of cycling too in the summer when the weather's good here, like that was an outlet I found myself really intrigued with not, not to ever get to a competitive place with it, but just like, a really cool thing to, to get to challenge myself with and, um, and can, and continue to like find new ways to push, push myself and, um, get outside and, and, and in the height of the pandemic, like being on a, a 40 or 50 mile bike ride was like the most freeing, you know, three hours of my, of my existence. So I, I really enjoyed that. But as the weather started to, to get a little worse, you know, just become more rainy and, and less conducive for, for cycling. Um, I guess I'm a little bit of a fair weather fan when it comes to being on the bike, when it comes to being on the bike, but, um, you know, into the fall, I, I kind of got, I was doing a lot of running. I was running almost every day and it just became like a half, you know, just kind of, I was picking up an old habit, right. Of just like getting out the door for eight to 10 miles in the morning and started to like get to find some fitness again after not, you know, putting a lot of emphasis on it earlier in the summer and doing more cycling. And, um, I, I approached, uh, Elliot Heath and I said, Hey, like, I know you coach like a group of guys, uh, Bowerman guys, uh, are, you know, would it, would it be cool with you if I just came and, and added a little bit of structure to my running? Like, I just feel like I'm craving that a little bit and I don't, I don't necessarily like have another, I don't have another outlet for it. And I'm really interested. Yeah. I'm just like interested in like starting to like put a little structure back into it. And I don't know what it looks like and I don't know. I, mean, I just retired. So like take it for what it is like, but I can't, I guess I can't stay away from it right now. Cause it, it's, I think it's just been really, it's just been something that's grounded me for so long. So I think it's more, I think really, if I, if I really break it down right now, it's more of the the mental health aspect of going and working hard once a week and doing some, some workouts with those guys. And, and just hopefully, um, you know, hopefully it's a mutually beneficial situation where they're getting something from me. I'm certainly getting something from them. And, um, yeah, we'll just see, we'll see where it goes. I, I really don't know other than just like, it's been a grounding thing for me weekly to have kind of on the schedule. Um, that to say, uh, I also, even when I started this, I, I did, I do, I do random stuff right now. It's nothing, nothing is organized because over Christmas, Dylan was like, Hey man, like 
I typically do this like this Christmas like run. I do the whole Wildwood Trail. Wood trail. Which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he was like, "Do you want to like come out and and do that with me?" And I was like, "Um, okay." Like, yeah, I guess I'm in the mode of just like say yes right now, mm-hmm. you know, like. And so, um, yeah, I think two days before Christmas, we got out and we did the end to end. We started, um, I guess, on the north end of of the of the park and did the thirty miles uh, to the sa- southern end on, on Wildwood. And again, that was my longest run PR and um, a great day out there uh, with uh, Dylan and Tyler. And uh, it was just, yeah, it was a it was a really cool kind of bucket list item to check off for Portland. How does your body feel compared to when you were at the height of your professional career and doing that as your job? Yes, my body feels amazing. <laughs> like it, it's crazy how just like taking the edge off of the training. It really, I've, I've. That's one thing I've been telling Dylan. Like on on our weekly uh, run is just like that we do together. I've just been like, man, my body feels really good. Like I actually, and I think that was part of the creeping back into like more of the the training with Elliot was just like my body feels as good as it's felt in a really long time because it's not constantly in the pressure cooker environment of like having to to run big mileage and and do and handle you know workouts that Jerry is throwing at me it's like everything is is so much um just like less intense and less volume and so my body's had a chance to kind of recover and and find a little bit of of like i guess maybe what normal people feel like a lot of the time so does it feel like at all that you're having a little bit of an identity crisis as a competitive runner i mean this thing that you've always been since the time that you were in your teens maybe even before i'm not entirely sure through about a year ago and now you're trying to figure it out and figure out like what place it has in your life and if you want it to be there. Yeah, I think I think for this year absolutely. Like I I feel like this whole year has been um a year of discovery um trying to like figure out like I think I I think mentally I put off so many things that I like would think about or dream about and until I, and like kind of put it off to like, say, I'll do that. Like when I'm done running. And so, you know, this year has been trying to unpack all of that and figure out what's important to me going forward. What do I want my life to include? Um, I think it's been very clear to me that running, like running in some capacity will always be a part of my life. Um, you know, whether it's like randomly getting out for a 30 mile, like, you know, Christmas, Christmas Wildwood run with Dylan or, um, you know, going, uh, on just like a weekly run with, you know, I've, I've been doing some running with Shalane Flanagan. I, again, she's just like, she's someone that's been here before. Um, she's, she's made this transition. Um, she, she has, you know, so many experiences and with, and so much wisdom to offer, um, for someone who is making the transition out of, um, out of, out of the sport and out of like a lifestyle that has been so, um, all consuming for so long. And I think, I think that's maybe, you know, maybe one thing that I've realized this year is like, I definitely want to learn from people. Like I want to have mentors in different areas of my life that like, 
um, that I can bounce ideas off of and that I can talk, you know, talk things through and, and, and really discover things about myself and about things that I want to spend time on um, to, to have those people who, who can offer perspective. And, you know, I mean, Shalane is one of those people, like she, she's a coach now. And, you know, I think, you know, that's now that she's taken that on, like, she had, you know, she's always had like these experiences that she's, you know, been kind of gaining and, and, and retaining. But now as a coach, she's, she's starting to, um, you know, use her voice and her, um, her background to, to like, take those experiences and give them, give them out to people in, in, in different forms of, of insight. And, and, um, and, you know, for the athletes, obviously there's a direct correlation there. And then for me, it's like someone who's like now going through what she went through in terms of retirement from the sport, like there's a lot to be gained there. And she's like, she has, she's like been very successful in, um, in kind of reinvent, in kind of using her, um, her celebrity or her, her experience of like, in, in, in putting that into like some really cool projects that she's done. And so I, I think too, just like from an ideation standpoint of, uh, an, an incubation standpoint, she's, a, she's a, she's a good person to talk to. And, um, same experience with like, you know, Dylan, um, as well, just like guys full, I think we talked about this on our initial call. It's like, that guy's just full of energy and ideas. Mm-hmm. And, and there's like, I mean, there's nothing more enjoyable to my week than getting out for just like an hour to an hour and a half easy run with him. And, you know, we spend the first 45 minutes just like recapping what's going on. But then the next 45 minutes is like, what can, what can happen? You know, what, what are the possibilities out there in the world and what could we, you know, like what could we do or, or what could other people do to like, you know, to solve all these different problems or, or, or to contribute in these new and different ways. And so that's that, that, that kind of idea of a friend and mentor or just like um, thought partner has been something that that's been a really fun experiment for me uh, this year. Dylan is incredibly good at that sort of stuff. I mean, his energy is contagious, but he really is an idea factory. And he moves on some of those ideas and executes pretty well on them. And it's been exciting to see some of the stuff that he's come out with. I think it's super cool that two of you are batting those things around as you're out just hammering away on the trails. For sure. Yeah, no, it's it's been cool. Couple more things before we wrap up this conversation. You just touched on how Shalane has been a bit of a mentor to you specifically. What are some of the lessons that she's imparted upon you about navigating retirement? Yeah, I mean I, I think that it's that is an evolving process. So we we were it's funny because I feel like we're closer now than when we were teammates even. Um, you know, I think you get you get very like siloed as an athlete. Um, mm-hmm. and I think I spoke about that before and you you don't spend and you don't necessarily like feel like you have the energy or you just choose not to maybe to like really engage <laughs> engage outside of just like the athletic stuff. And so yeah, we, I think as like I've wound down from the sport, you know, and she's been out of it for a little bit, um, this summer, for example, like she was, um, out at the track, you know, when we were doing those Bowerman, like summer inter squad meets and, 
you know, we were both like, I was helping Emily Pritt and Elliot with some of the production stuff for those meets. And, you know, she was out there and we just like get to chatting and it's like, you know, you just start to, you start to pick up on things of like the way successful people, you know, move through life. And she's one of those people that I think just really understands, um, you kind of like how to do it and she's managed it really well for herself and for her family. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm never going to sell, I'm never going to have a New York times bestselling cookbook, (laughs) (laughs) but, but, but that's not what my goal, you know, that's not what I'm trying to do, but I can, I think the whole point of like learning from someone is how to, you know, take, uh, some of the kind of the energy that they bring and, and the, the things that they have done and, and try to, and try to learn from that. And so I would say it's more, it's nothing like super specific. It's more of just, um, kind of the, the overall transferable like skills that she had, you know, has it, had it as an athlete and now she's bringing to her, um, you know, her kind of next phase of, of life and as a coach and, you know, as a, as a writer, you know, a, a cookbook writer and, and these sorts of other projects that she's a part of. And so, yeah, no, I mean, I think, again, it's just, it's just watching someone, um, you know, make that, make that jump. Um, and there's others too. I mean, she's just, she's just been someone that's been, um, someone, you know, that, that I've been talking with a lot more recently, but, you know, Matt Tegenkamp is another guy. I mean, he, he's been a really close friend for a really long time. He was like the captain of the team, um, unofficially the captain of the team when I joined and, um, kind of the elder statesman and, um, someone that I learned so much from as an athlete. And then now he's made a very successful jump into, um, you know, development and innovation at Nike, uh, which is an area that I'm very interested in. And so he's been a great person to kind of bounce ideas off of, um, in a more like formal way, uh, now that he's, he's, he's established himself there. So, um, yeah, it's just, again, it's just surrounding yourself with people that you, that you can learn from and, and that you trust and, that you're, you're going to grow from as well. Last question before we wrap this one up, we're a year removed from your last race. What is exciting you most about running right now? Ooh, I think, I think honestly, my, the athletes I'm coaching, uh, and, and to think about what improvements they're going to make. Uh, and so it's, it's outside of myself now. And that's kind of a, that's kind of a fitting, um, narrative to end on, I think here is like, you know, for me for so long, it was all about me and my performance and what could I bring and, you know, what, what race was next and like, what can I do? Um, so it's a very like internal, internally focused sort of, uh, mantra. And so I think now I'm, I'm really excited about, um, some of the athletes I'm coaching. I'm excited for the young, young guys and girls in, in the Bowerman track club, um, and then I'm, I'm really excited for youth sports to come back and to watch my son. Like he ran Bowerman track, he did Bowerman track club youth this for the first time this fall, he was old enough to do it. And so I don't know if running is going to be something he sticks with and wants to do, but just like getting kids in our area back into athletics, I think it's so important. Like, and I'm really hopeful that like, um, as you know, vaccine and, and, and conditions get, get better here with, with COVID like that, that becomes a reality as well. So I'm, I'm looking to the future, uh, of, of, of athletics with, with young people, 
with with professional athletes that I, I still hope to have a relationship with in, in the Bowerman Track Club that are that are younger and that are doing really well, and then also uh, the ten or so athletes that I'm I'm currently coaching and have direct uh, I guess impact with right now. I think that's a great place to end it. Bumby, I've enjoyed this conversation. I hope that we can share some miles together later this year. And I thank you for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. All right. Thank you so much for listening in to the Morning Shakeout podcast. A big thank you to Gooder for sponsoring this episode of the show. Not only do Gooder sunglasses look good, they don't bounce, they don't slip, and they're polarized to protect your eyes. They're also super affordable, with most pairs costing just 25 to 35 bucks a piece. I'm personally a big fan of the OGs, and my favorite colors are Ginger's Soul and Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. And yes, those are just a couple of the recklessly fun names that they have in their collection. So if you want to support the podcast and treat yourself to a pair of Gooders, head over to Gooder.com slash Mario or enter the code Mario at checkout to take advantage of a great deal. 13% off your order. That's G-O-O-D-R dot com slash Mario. That's M-A-R-I-O and get 13% off your order. Look good, run Gooder. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. A couple more things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my longtime producer, John Summerford, who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for running the AM Shakeout social media accounts and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing, if you are digging this podcast, I think you will love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout, and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. It's a quick read, five, 10 minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. <laughs>